You're live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Andy Barrar on this Easter weekend. Lots of interesting stuff to talk about on today's show. We'll be uh, talking with uh, Ken Wong, Distinguished Professor of Marketing at Queen's University School of Business, on what killed Future Shop. I think we've had over a week now to kind of digest the, uh, the retail giant basically closing its doors and shutting down most of its stores and... I guess the other half going to be turned into Best Buys. We'll uh, see what really did happen and get some uh, thoughts on that. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to talk uh, to a marketing professor who, who's basically looking at the retail landscape, how it was and how it's going to be in the future and get his insight on all that. We'll also be speaking with Matthew Ingram about Facebook. Facebook is doing some uh, interesting deals with some big publishers, including the New York Times and also BuzzFeed on bringing content directly to the Facebook news feed. What does that mean for content publishers in the future? We'll also uh, be chatting with uh, Peter Nowak about uh, the Rogers Spotify deal. You'll uh, really want to stay tuned on that one. It really deals with the whole net neutrality issue that uh, is really uh, at the forefront uh, right now. In the uh, tech news, uh, Andy, some interesting things. Uh, Jay-Z and uh, some other artists have launched a new music streaming service called Tidal. Yeah, it's basically the 1% of the 1% of musicians. Like we're talking Jay-Z, Beyonce, Rihanna, Madonna, Jack White, Kanye West. Daft Punk, the who's who in the music industry are all now co-owners of this new streaming service and they want us to pay them instead of Spotify. And uh, interesting, um, it was a really interesting kind of uh, argument they had. They were really saying that we have a moral imperative to pay them because music should not be free and and these ultra-rich musicians should be paid and compensated (laughs) for their art that they're providing us. Well, it's interesting because since the announcement, uh, a huge backlash has happened uh, on social feeds and Twitter uh, about uh, how the only one really benefiting from this new service will be, uh, you know, these uh, top artists. It's not really, you know, that fantastic for consumers and not perhaps that great for all the other musicians that aren't. Beyonce and Madonna. <laughs> I don't. The last time I saw this kind of star-studded power must have been like during like the '80s when they sang "We Are the World." <laughs> like it's just amazing. <laughs> what a, what a different time back then. They were trying to save Africa. Now they're just like, no, pay us. Don't don't they're trying to save their Bentleys. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Uh, they're launching this service. Uh, it's ten dollars per month uh, for the compressed format. So you know, competing against, I guess, Spotify. Uh, RDO, Deezer, you know, a number of these other streaming services. And they also offer a $20 per month uh, high-quality stream as well. My question, Andy, can they compete? There's already a number of these streaming services out there, uh, Spotify, RDO, Pandora. Uh, these guys are really kind of owning the market right now. Can, the, can this make a dent? I think what they're going to do to be able to compete, because we're talking about the who's who in the music industry. What we might see is they're launching specific content, exclusive content that you could only get on Tidal and nowhere else. And I think that's what they're going to use to try to, to entice people. What was a funny thing is when they made this announcement, all these stars all changed their Twitter profiles to basically promote this title. So they're all really coming together. The question is, 
Will people want to pay the ultra-rich artists that they love? Don't get me wrong. They love. But these people are already millionaires and billionaires. And really, do we need to pay them 20 bucks a month to get CD-quality sounds when you could go to Spotify and do it for free, provided that you listen to an ad here or there? Are you going to join up? Absolutely not. Yeah, I, trust me. I would never get this. But, I, but what if what if they start making their content exclusive on that service. Like if you want to listen to Jay-Z or uh, Jack White for that matter, and you can only listen to it on their service, would that change your mind? Just wait. I'm sure somebody out there will be like, oh yeah, well, I'm going to make this free and available for everyone else. So you'll still be able to, I'm sure, download it. But from streaming point of view, I think they will have that locked down. So they might even force you to have to use their service if you want to listen to their exclusive music. It's a, it's a really, it's, it really doesn't benefit, like you were mentioning, the, the middle musicians, you know, the people that aren't at the top of the top, but are maybe emerging artists or developing artists. I, I think it's just really unfair. It's an interesting business model, this new, you know, streaming model. You know, before we had records, cassette tapes, CDs, then we went to digital downloads, you know, like through iTunes, you know, you're paying essentially roughly a buck a song or 10 bucks, you know, for a full album that you could listen to on your smartphone or your iPod or computer. And now these streaming services are subscription-based. They're typically around 10 bucks a month. Some are free, but you have to listen to ads, kind of almost like the radio mm -hmm. when you think about it. Um, you know, if you're looking at the business model, you know, from what I've seen, uh, you know, for example, on Spotify, you know, they estimate that uh, artists get roughly about 0.6 cents per stream. Absolutely. And which I think... is not huge. No, it's not. And... We got to understand, Spotify is huge now, but at the same time, how are they making their money? And if it's these fraction well, can, of a can, penny... Well, I can see how Spotify is making money. Yes. Right? But how do they then compensate the artists through that? Like, there's, it's a really tricky thing. I think you have to be like an expert on all these like algorithms and compensations for like a fraction of a penny for each stream. How would, yeah, how would the artist even know? Well, we know Taylor Swift yeah. does not like Spotify. She basically removed all of her music from there. But you can get her on Tidal, so fear not. If you want to stream Taylor Swift, you, you can still do that. Other interesting stuff. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, uh, Andy. Uh, it's rumored that Amazon is testing drones at a secret BC location. Absolutely. It looks like, um, and we talked about this before. Delivery drones. Yes, they want to deliver your Amazon packages via drone. They were trying to do it in the U.S., but uh, I guess the uh, aviation industry over there was really hesitant to allow them to test. So they decided to come up north to Canada, and uh, they got a special flight operations certificate um, by, the, uh, by the Canadian Transport Canada, basically, to allow them to test this. And I, when this first announced, I, I thought it was just kind of like make-believe stuff. Yeah, in the future, we're going to get our packages. But this might become a reality. So within 30 minutes, you will be able to get your package from an Amazon uh, drone. From an Amazon drone. I just see so many things that can go wrong with the drone delivery. Mm -hmm. Like I even look in my neighborhood, like what if it's windy? Yep. And, you know, I look at my yard, there are trees everywhere. And how's the drone going to know where to drop the package off? Like, is it going to go into your backyard? Is it going to go to your front door? It, it, there's so many things that need to be settled. And then the whole, uh, for me, the, the whole um, uh, theft thing. Like if you were not a good person, you could basically follow that drone because you're going to be seeing these drones fly around. You just follow that drone to someone's house, see the drone drop the package off, and if they're not home, 
hey, you've got a new Amazon <laughs> package. Exactly. There's so many things, unknowns right now. Yeah. How is this really going to be implemented? And like, and like, could you imagine, like, we just, like, you're walking to work one day and you have all these little drones flying with these little I know. cardboard the, the boxes. Sa- the safety thing is a big thing for me because I, I know these drones, the technology is getting better and better, but still, I'm, they're very susceptible to, uh, I'm sure, wind. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure rain doesn't help either. I'm sure trees and power lines, like, uh, there's just so many factors for me right now that I don't see this as a, a near-term uh, thing. Do you think will this will happen within the next five years? I can't see it. Yeah, me I either. Ju- I just the the technology for me, unless drone technology advances uh, in a big way, I just don't see it see it happening. We're gonna have to take a break. When we come back, we're gonna find out what really killed a future shop. We've got uh, a professor of marketing from Queen's University School of Business to give his thoughts. You're listening. To Get connected. Brought to you by London Drugs here in the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Andy Barrar. We're broadcasting live across Canada here on the Chorus Radio Network. Still lots to come on today's show. Uh, We still are going to be talking with Matthew Ingram about Facebook and the New York Times. What does it all mean? And uh, the new Rogers Spotify deal and what that means for net neutrality. Stay tuned for that. Right now, though, we've uh, got uh, a great guest on board. We've got Ken Wong, Distinguished Professor of Marketing at Queen's University School of Business. Thanks for joining us today, Ken. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I wanted to uh, bring you on board uh, to talk about uh, Future Shop. Uh, I think it's been uh, you know coming up on a week here now since uh, they uh, basically closed down all their stores. Half of them will never reopen. Uh, the other half are going to be turned uh, into Best Buy, uh, their parent company. And I just wanted to get your thoughts, Ken. Uh, obviously, you've got uh, a lot of experience uh, as far as uh, marketing. What do you think ultimately killed Future Shop? Well, I think it was a combination of forces. Uh, you know, really, if you think about retailing, it's always been a brutal industry and a dynamic industry. Uh, we sometimes forget, you know, that we didn't always live in this world of Walmart and big box stores. Uh, there, you know, prior to Walmart, there was Wilco and Kmart, and prior to that, there was Woolworths and Kresge and Five and Dimes. So, you know, retailing is always changing. And uh, to be honest, I think Future Shop simply didn't change with the times. You've got a new technology, a different kind of consumer, and a, a whole new uh, economic reality that Facebook, uh, that uh, Future Shop just wasn't prepared to compete in. And is that new reality uh, online shopping, e-commerce? In some categories, not all. Uh, Best Buy, for example, is going to be adding large appliances, weight appliances, to their lineup. Uh, and the reason for that is that some products just don't lend itself as well uh, to online buying. So if you think about buying a, a dishwasher or a refrigerator, uh, these are heavy products, hard to ship. They require installation. Uh, and you really do want to see and feel those goods. Uh, by contrast, if you think about the kinds of products that made up the mainstream future shop lineup, you know, you're talking here about uh, iPads, laptops, uh, branded products that, that really don't change no matter where you buy it. And so unless you're prepared to give the consumer some kind of incentive uh, to come down to your store, some level of expertise, uh, maybe a digital sandbox, uh, better sound rooms and displays, uh, if you're not prepared to do that, then the consumer is quite appropriately going to shop at home, uh, spare themselves the, the gas and parking costs and time, and probably get the better price as well. 
I guess it doesn't help that a lot of these electronic items, especially the bigger ticket ones, didn't really have huge margins either. Well, they didn't have huge margins, and when you're uh, when you operate the way Future Shop did, and remember when Future Shop first opened, uh, we didn't have the plethora of competition that we did. We didn't have e-commerce, and so it was relatively easy for Future Shop to to uh, position themselves uh, as the low-priced supplier. Uh, the competition at that time were largely, uh, you know, specialty audio stores, specialty TV shops. Uh, you know, paying higher rents proportionately, and therefore couldn't compete on on low price. Uh, however, you can only price as low as your costs allow, and so uh, the ability to be the low price competitor requires that you be the low cost competitor. And Future Shop lost that mantle some time ago. Do you think showrooming was a big factor? You know, basically people uh, going into the store, uh, you know, checking out the goods, but then going uh, back online to get a cheaper price. Well, certainly showrooming is a factor, uh, in, 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 but it's part of our new reality, I guess you could say. Uh, but at the same time, showrooming is not something that is impossible to overcome. Uh, people do feel uh, an allegiance to, uh, to certain suppliers. Uh, we need only look at uh, you know, small coffee shops, uh, barbers, and so on. No one has ever come up with a formula uh, to win in those markets, and it's because we feel this personal loyalty to them, and we feel it because we really think they're working on our behalf and working for our business. By contrast, go to Future Shop, and the big complaint always was, geez, you know, I walk out, I almost feel like I need a shower because uh, I face this aggressive sales rep who's being paid on a commission. Um, I may not even be able to find a sales rep because in order for Future Shop to reduce prices, they had to reduce staff. They had to minimize store upkeep, minimize displays. Uh, again, only price as low as your costs. And so there was nothing compelling the consumer to, to be willing to, to, to pay Future Shop for that uh, shopping experience. Ken, I, I think one of the reasons, and you kind of touched on this, why Future Shop failed you just didn't get that expert advice when you went into the store. And I think what they needed to realize that customers like myself in the millennial category were coming into the store already knowledgeable about all the products and I just wanted to see them. And every experience I had with the front sales staff, it's usually a 20-something person who really didn't understand the difference between one product and the next and what was best for me. They didn't ask the right questions. And ultimately, I think that and the shorter staff is what led to the failure of Future Shop. Oh, I think there's there's absolutely no question about the, uh, that being a major contributing factor. You know, I, I go down to a future shop. Uh, if I wanted to buy something as pedestrian as a radio, they may have a dozen in the store, but I can't hear any of them because they're all in a box. Uh, and I certainly, you know, if I'm buying a radio, I go online, I research that radio, I do the comparables. Maybe I check out consumer reports or CNET reviews. I probably know more about the radio I'm buying than that sales rep who is responsible for a couple of thousand SKUs, uh, stock-keeping units. Uh, they can't possibly have the in-depth knowledge that I do, and they didn't receive any kind of sales training to help them ask those right questions. So there's no, there's no doubt in my mind, and, and Best Buy should pay heed to this because Best Buy is committed in their new stores to adding staff. Well, it's more than just adding staff. You're talking about a very knowledgeable consumer and a consumer who, frankly, has grown used to things being customized around their particular requirements. 
What do you think this means? Millennials mean? are a tough shopper. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> Just look at Andy here. What do you think it means for the future of of retailing? Are we going to see more casualties uh, in the electronics space? Do you think? Oh, I, I think we'll see some more casualties. It's always been survival of the fittest. Um, but I think what you'll probably see is the market will restructure. Um, you know, there will be always somebody in the big box format uh, selling branded products that really don't change from one supplier to another uh, and really catering to that portion of the population who knows what they want and simply want to find it at the lowest possible price. But at the same time, I think, you know, as we get into this more interconnected world, uh, you're going to find a role for the specialty boutique. Uh, you're going to find a role for that uh, that supplier who knows all the gear you've got, understands what will work with what, uh, you know, what, what becomes duplicated technology. Um, you know, do, do you really need Chromecast if you've already got a smart TV? Uh, they can answer these kinds of questions for you. And so you will see, I, I think, the, the pursuit of a, a higher-end uh, supplier, but you'll also see these, these big-box stores and everything in between. Uh, look at Best Buy's new model. You know, they're not peppering the world anymore with big showrooms. Now, there'll be two or three showrooms. If you really need to go down and see and feel as well, you can get in your car and, and drive and do that. Uh, but if you're prepared to order online, well, you can order online from work and stop at one of their small footprint kiosks, pick it up on the way home. Ken, uh, I really want to thank you for joining us on the show today and your, uh, your thoughts. Uh, I'd like to have you on again sometime soon. Anytime at all, guys. Thank you. That was Ken Wong, Distinguished Professor of Marketing, Queen's University School of Business. When we come back from the break, we'll uh, tell you what the contest is this week, so you want to stay tuned for that. We'll also be speaking with uh, Matthew Ingram about uh, the Facebook and New York Times deal and what that means for content publishers, and also uh, speaking with Peter Nowak about the Rogers Spotify deal and net neutrality. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected, Mike and Andy here in studio, broadcasting live across the Chorus Radio Network. Uh, Andy, quickly, the contest. This week we're giving away the Boogie Board Paperless Memo Pad. This is a, a cool little tablet that allows you to write on an LCD screen with a little pen, um, paperless. So basically you can write notes for somebody, maybe a grocery list, and then you press a button and it disappears. It's like a modern-day Etch-a-Sketch almost. Absolutely. It's so cool. But cooler. I, I think every family should have at least one of these. All you have to do is go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com, hit on the contest tab to enter and win the Boogie Board Paperless Memo Pad. Facebook. A juggernaut in the social media world, over a billion active users, I think maybe even 1.3 billion now. They're really uh, getting into the whole content side uh, as we speak. Uh, looks like a, a pending uh, New York Times deal. To understand what it all means, we've got Matthew Ingram on the line. Thanks for joining us, Matthew. Thanks for having me. Uh, so I, I read about this uh, over the past week, uh, Facebook, the New York Times, I think BuzzFeed as well, uh, doing a deal with uh, Facebook basically to have their content on the Facebook uh, news feed. Uh, what does that mean for content publishers like the New York Times, uh, you know, just so people understand what this is all about? Well, I guess the main thing is that it would mean a lot more reach. I mean, Facebook is talking about putting an entire story, news story on Facebook instead of just, you know, the first paragraph or a couple sentences and a link. And so presumably Facebook is offering 
among other things, they're offering that your stuff will will be faster, so people will click and be able to see it faster. But I I assume part of the deal is also that Facebook will show your content to more people than it would reach otherwise, and so you've got the chance to reach you know some or all of those billion people with your content. So how's that working now for the New York Times, for example? Uh, do New York Times articles only appear on the Facebook news feed if someone uh, shares a link? Yeah, at the moment they have to, either the New York Times has to put them on their page um, or someone has to share one, or uh, Facebook has a thing called the Facebook Newswire where they sort of curate things that have a, appeared on Facebook. So they may select a link from the Times to, you know, to highlight in that. But other than that, it has to be someone has to share it. So, th- I mean, this you know, from the outside, sounds like a great deal for the New York Times, obviously a huge audience, much easier to access their articles. What are the what are the downsides for them? So the big downside, I mean, obviously, it is hugely appealing, you can you can reach, you know, millions or billions of people and Facebook will partner with you and Facebook will help your content reach them. And um, so it's it's hugely attractive. But the, the the main downside is that you're, you're effectively kind of giving control over that content to Facebook. So uh, Facebook is the one that decides who sees it and when, because Facebook uh, controls the news feed through its algorithm. So the filtering algorithm that decides what you see and when will decide whether to show people New York Times content or not. And it's, it's interesting, this amazes me every time I hear it, but something The last number I saw was that more than half of Facebook users don't even know that their feed is being algorithmically filtered. (laughs) They don't even know that Facebook is not showing them things, for example, um, which is mind-boggling. But anyway, that the big risk is that is that Facebook then takes control over who sees what and when. And the risk, to me at least, is if you're a media company, you want people to think of you as the source of the news. You don't necessarily want people to think oh, Facebook is where I go to get all my news, because then Facebook is the one that, that, that benefits from that content more than you. And how is the New York Times going to make money out of this? I assume I don't, the details haven't actually been uh, discussed yet, but I assume there's going to be a revenue share, so Facebook will sell ads around the content and then presumably give the New York Times some of that money. Um, so, you know, look at one way, it's... it's uh, it's a great deal. You reach a ton more people. Facebook helps you out. They sell some ads. They give you some money. Um, I think all the downside is in the kind of long-term effect of that. Does it does it mean that more people associate Facebook with the place where they get your news and fewer of them come to your website, at which point you become more and more dependent on Facebook, um, which lots of media companies already are? It's kind of like um, making a deal with the devil almost because you really don't know what the long-term implications of this deal is going to be like in the future. Right, and and I think the biggest risk is, um, you know, Facebook's main interest is Facebook. So Facebook doesn't particularly care. I'm not saying they don't care, but their sort of number one goal is not journalism, and it's not to educate people, and it's not... I mean, they, they're interested in those things. I'm not saying they're not, but... Their number one goal is to make money for Facebook. So, you know, to the extent that that goal kind of meshes with a media outlet's goal, that's great. But at some point, it's not going to. 
and Facebook is going to make decisions that benefit Facebook rather than you or your journalism. And, I mean, there are, you can think of examples, you know, let's say Facebook wants to do a deal in China, but the New York Times is writing nasty articles about the Chinese government. Well, what happens to those articles in the newsfeed? They're not going to be in China. (laughs) That algorithm will kick in. Or those news articles may, you know, be less sort of prominent than they would otherwise be. So basically the control goes to Facebook. I wonder what it means for, like, some of the the smaller content publishers. Obviously, you know, the New York Times has got some clout behind them, but what if you are a smaller newspaper or or content site? I mean, there I think, in a way, the problem, the sort of debate is even harder because you need all the help you can get, right? You, and, and let's face it, a lot of people find content on Facebook, and you can reach orders of magnitude more people than you would otherwise be able to. So it's going to be even more appealing to you to do that than it is for the Times. And, you know, they have a paywall and they have a big website and everyone's heard of them. So my my fear is that, um, you know, if you sort of go all in on that strategy, you become effectively just a, a, a kind of branch plant of Facebook. Then, then you, you've effectively, once you become kind of, integrated with it and more and more people expect to find your content there it you'll cut off any sort of other form of sort of reaching people or monetizing your content and then eventually all you will have is facebook it's going to be an interesting few years to see how that uh, all shakes out matthew i want to thank you so much for joining us on the show where can people find out more of uh, your articles and work well, at the moment, they can go to matthewingham.com slash work, or they can follow me on Twitter at, at MatthewI with one T. Thanks again for joining us, Matthew. Okay, great. Thanks for having me. Matthew Ingram, one of the, uh, the big tech journals here in uh, North America. When we come back from the break, we'll be talking about the Roger Spotify deal and what, does it mean, what it means for net neutrality. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs, here on the Chorus Radio Network, back after this. You're back with Get Connected, Mike Agarbo with Andy Barrar. Stay tuned. In a little while, we'll uh, be talking about App of the Week with Christina Stoyanova. Online right now, I've got Peter Nowak, award-winning tech journalist and author. Thanks for joining us today, Peter. My pleasure. Uh, wanted to talk to you about uh, the Rogers and Spotify deal. Spotify, uh, a large uh, online music streaming service. Uh, tell us uh, what uh, the deal is all about. Yeah, well, uh, this uh, applies basically to Fido subscribers. So Fido, of course, is uh, one of Rogers' uh, wireless brands. So subscribers there, um, they're going to get two free years of Spotify Premium, uh, and that's basically a subscription to the music streaming service where um, uh, it, normally the price on that is $9.99 a month. So if you subscribe to, to Fido, you're going to get two years free of that. And is that for all current subscribers or new ones? Uh, I think that's going to happen. That's going to take place with new subscribers. Uh, they haven't announced the full details of, of the whole uh, offer just yet. It was just announced on Monday, so we're not quite sure uh, exactly what the full details are going to be just yet. So this is kind of interesting. It's uh, it's a music streaming service, which uh, you know I think for a lot of smartphone users, you know, on Fido would be appealing because people love music. Uh, but from what I understand, um, if you do use the service, and again, that music is coming over. Uh, you know, as data traffic, um, you're going to be paying for that data. It's going to count to your your monthly cap. 
Yeah, so uh, prior to this announcement, there were some reports out there that um, Rogers was going to be engaging in something called zero rating, which is uh, that's sort of a it's a term that applies to when a internet provider, whether it's a wireless company or whether it's a home uh, ISP, where they pick a certain application and then they um, uh, they exempt it from uh, counting against your monthly data caps. And uh, this is a sort of thing that's uh, it's become an issue in a lot of countries, definitely in Canada in the U.S. and a couple other countries, where um, some regulators have ruled uh, that it's a violation of net neutrality. Uh, And that's what happened back in January with Bell uh, and Videotron, the CRTC here in Canada, said that, uh, you know, these companies were offering video services to their customers. Uh, I think it was 5 or $10 a month you'd pay for it. And uh, that, that content wouldn't count against your monthly data cap. So the CRTC said, well, no, this is uh, discriminatory. And it's, uh, you know, because everything else, whether you're watching YouTube or Netflix, was counting against your cap as usual. So the CRTC said, well, this is discriminatory. And so we're not going to allow it. Um, so in this case, Spotify uh, Rogers is following the rules, um, so it's not going to be zero rated. So any any, uh, although you're getting that free monthly subscription, uh, it's still going to count against your monthly data caps. Does Rogers have a stake in Spotify? Uh, not to my knowledge. No, I think Spotify is. Uh, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it's a European company. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. Uh, so that kind of makes it interesting to me because you know uh, the CRT slapped Bell uh, for basically offering uh, you know. Uh, TV channels on their mobile service, but I, I could kind of see that because Bell owned, uh, you know, most of those channels. Whereas in this particular case, Rogers doesn't really own Spotify. Yeah, there, it's a bit of a gray area. Um, the the federal communication, uh, sorry, federal, oh, I can't even say it. The Federal Communications Commission in the U.S., which is basically like the uh, American CRTC, uh, they just announced uh, some net neutrality rules back in February, and one of the things that they they didn't necessarily outlaw uh, this whole idea of zero rating, um, but what they what some of the officials did say, um, which was kind of I guess sums up the the situation is uh, they're taking a dim view on uh, wireless carriers or internet providers in general favoring their own content so that's probably not going to be allowed Uh, they're also not very keen on third parties paying those internet providers for uh, their content to be exempted from data caps so that's a situation where you can imagine if Netflix were paying say Rogers uh, some kind of money to not be counted against uh, uh, home usage caps um, so that's also not that's that's also frowned on. But what they're not necessarily opposed to is if a internet provider decides to exempt a certain app or a certain service from data caps with no actual money uh, changing hands. So that's basically you know um, it could be something like uh, Rogers saying, well, we find that a lot of our users use Facebook, so we're going to allow them to use Facebook for free. Uh, and Facebook actually has nothing to do with that decision. Um, so that's something that in the U.S. Uh, they may allow, and in, in Canada the, the door is open for that sort of thing as well, as, as far as I understand the rulings. I think from a consumer point of view, Peter, a lot of people would want to be able to just stream as much as they can on their Rogers or Fido account, but that would open up a huge precedent if, if, that, if they were able to do so, because the other streaming music services really wouldn't be able to compete, especially for Rogers and Fido customers. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a big slippery slope, and there's a lot of question marks here, I think, because, uh, you know, now that so now that Rogers has this deal with uh, Spotify, uh, you could ask the question, well, what if the other carriers, Bell and Telus and, and so on, what if they actually, uh, you know, do the same thing? What if they do the same sorts of deals with Spotify? Uh, where does that leave the other uh, music services like RDO and Deezer and so on? Um, you know, they're not necessarily being counted against caps, but they are... Uh, you know, being offered for free to subscribers of those wireless services. So it's kind of weird. It's uh, there's this big question, I think, when you start to talk about not allowing zero rating, then you kind of have to start asking questions of, well, where does net neutrality start and where does it end? And uh, what kinds of deals, what kind of freebies should be allowed? What kind of freebies can't be allowed? It's, it's, uh, it's a bit of a complicated situation, I think. We're going to need you to police it, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, I want to thank you for uh, joining us on the show. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Peter Nowak, uh, or you can check out my uh, website. It's uh, wordsbynowak.com. Peter Nowak, award-winning tech journalist and author. When we come back from the break, Christina Stoinova with App of the Week. You're listening to Get Connected, brought to you by London Drugs here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Andy Barrar. Just uh, a little bit of time left, and... That means App of the Week with Christina. Thanks for coming in the studio, Christina. Thanks for having me. What's the app this week? Um, so Instagram has actually released a new app. It's called Layout. Instagram. So um, something uh, that a lot of people use for posting pictures. They're owned by Facebook now. My kids use it all the time. Yeah. And so what does this new app do? So you know how you've seen all those uh, fun collages on Instagram with a few pictures combined. Um, so typically that was done through a third-party app. I used to use PicStitch, but it was always just a little bit clunky and not as fluid as you'd like it to be. So Instagram, being inspired by seeing all of these collages show up, actually created their own collage app called Layout. <laughs> Basically putting all these other uh, collage apps out of business? Well, I mean... I would argue they've done a really good job. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, if you try it out and love it, then I guess the proof is in the pudding. And uh, so basically you pick some of your favorite. Do you have to pick them or does it do it automatically? No, you pick them from your camera roll and then it will automatically suggest layouts for you and you can decide which one and then you can customize um, the different sizes of the pictures within the layout you know zoom in to things on on the pictures and uh, flip some of the photos so there's been some really cool photos created doing that where they're flipping the image of like mountains so it looks like the mountains are coming out of the bottom and the top so yeah you can get really creative with this one and so with the whole Facebook thing, uh, is there integration with that? Is it easy to post those pictures to Facebook as well? Yeah, once you save your collage, you can either post it to Instagram or Facebook or both. Yeah, it's uh, all integrated, super easy to use, very intuitive. And what platforms is it available on now? It's just iOS for now. Uh, the Instagram team is working on an Android app, so that should be coming in the following months. Oh, Android second, I guess, eh? Is that because iPhone is better? It's totally because iPhone is better. <laughs> is that even a question? Yeah, I think Andy's getting pretty mad. I know. <laughs> pretty mad right now. And uh, I'm assuming because it's uh, from Instagram, uh, it's 
probably free as well? It is free, yeah. How's Instagram making money? Is you it- know what? I think they've gone to advertising like uh, Facebook has. Yeah. So, I mean, they should be generating some revenue that way. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, I want to thank you. Thanks. Uh, you can get that in the uh, iOS uh, App Store, I believe. In the App Store, that's right. Very cool. Andy, can we get the uh, contest one more time? This week, we're giving away the Boogie Board. It's uh, a, a really a paperless memo pad, and what you can do is it has a little LCD screen. You write on it just like a pen, and it actually shows everything you're writing. You press a button, and everything disappears. you got to go to our website to it's check like it magic. out. It is. It's, uh, you know what? I, I just like drawing on it, and then press a button, disappears. Etch-a-Sketch. It, absolutely. 3.0. It's Etch-a-Sketch 3.0. To check it out, just go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com, to enter and win the Boogie Board paperless memo pad. Well, that's all the time we have left for today's show. As always, you can visit our website at getconnectedmedia.com. We've got our daily digital blogs there, and of course, all our radio and television segments as well, which you'll want to check out. I want to thank everyone that helps put the show together. Andy Barrar, my producer and co-host, and uh, Christina with App of the Week. That's all the time we have left. Mike, Andy, and Christina logging off. We'll see you again next week.